0: It's like, oh, my name is Amy Victoria. My name is Professor Atkins-Jones. And it is really wonderful to be here tonight. This is my first agape latte. I had to uh, Google where Hillside Cafe was because I still don't know the names of things. And then there's, a, there's this thing called Upper and Lower and the Mods and then the Rats right okay so i'm i'm working on it you know they don't give you a handbook on bc lingo when you come as faculty so feel free to you know let me know if i if i mess something up i'm working on it all right so I'm first just want to thank the Agape Latte team for inviting me, for having me. Karen um, for all of her hospitality. I really appreciate it. And I want to begin by just asking, you know, it was a beautiful day. You know, that trivia question about, you know, how many days are in winter? No, the answer is 135 days of winter in Boston. But I wanted to know: all right, the sun is shining. You know, did anybody just yawn, wake up, and think, and say, wow, you know, I think, I think today it would be okay if I died today. Probably, I hope not, probably no one thought that. And here's the thing um, I want to talk a little bit about today. No one thinks that they're going to die. Now, we know that we are born to die, that we are, you know, fragile spirits and clay vessels. We know that at some point it's all going to end. We know we've got 12 years to turn it around before the insect apocalypse. We don't know what's going to happen. We know that at some point our lives will come to an end. And I am actually the granddaughter of a funeral home under, uh, owner. You know, my life was like living six feet under. Do you guys remember that shit? Probably not. Hulu, Netflix, you could check it out. Um, so I grew up around dead bodies. I grew up around morgues. This was something that was very familiar to me, very normal. My aunt was a hospice nurse. And I, as I became a minister, I've sat by many a deathbed. I teach a class called The Walking Dead. I know my plan for the zombie apocalypse. You know, if you take that class... Spoiler alert, one of the assignments is that you have to write your own eulogy. I've done this, and yet no one ever really thinks that they're gonna die. And last summer, I woke up one day and I was dying. I had had, uh, last spring, some complications that led to me finding out that I was going to need a spine surgery. And it was like, okay, it's gonna be in and out, an incision, no big deal. You're gonna be fine. In three weeks, you know, you're gonna have lots of drugs. It's gonna be great. And so I went through this procedure, and I woke up, and it was like, huh? You know, I don't really feel good. And they were like, oh no no no, it's fine. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna do a couple of procedures. Don't even worry about it. And so I said, okay, well, you know, it's summertime. So I proceeded. It was right around Fourth of July. Went home to the best state, Virginia. I saw somebody wearing a Virginia shirt. Two up, two down. All right. So I was excited. We went on vacation. We had just gotten to the beach. And the next morning, I woke up, and it felt like there was a Mack truck sitting on my head. And I don't actually have the words to describe how much pain I was in. And I started screaming at my husband, and he was like, I'm calling 911. And even then, I said, no, no, I think I'll be fine. And so we ended up calling 911, and I felt myself waiting for the paramedics starting to black out. I was having trouble breathing, and there was something inside of me that just said, oh, my God, I'm dying right now. I can feel it. And I was so sad because I'm a mama by marriage. My marriage came with a beautiful three team. That's what they call themselves package of three gorgeous, lovely children who I'm, who I adore. And I was celebrating. This was only our sixth month being married, you know? And so I'm apologizing to my husband because it's like, wow, like I didn't mean to do this to you. And I'm, you know, I'm very pragmatic, so I was like, "Oh, I didn't finish paying that other bill. <laughs> Shoot, I'm sorry, babe. But I'm telling him, I'm so sorry. And please tell my parents I love them. And please tell your parents that I love them too. And please tell the kids all the things. And he was like, no, 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 stop it. But I was like, no, I need to say this because I, I feel myself something, this isn't gonna get better. I actually had a really strange sense of calm in that moment. But I knew that something was wrong. Fast forward, it turns out that in that spine surgery that was supposed to be in, out, bada bing, bada boom, I had gotten a tear in the lining of my dura, right, what surrounds our spinal cords. And that tear had been leaking spinal fluid. I had it coming, pouring out of my incision by the time the paramedics came. And in that moment, or during that surgery, I had contracted bacterial meningitis. And no one knew it. So thank God that I'm rushed to the hospital and the neurosurgeon notices. I woke up in an ICU with a drain in my back, not allowed to lift my head more than 10 degrees, surrounded by people in gloves and masks, My children couldn't see me, my family couldn't see me, only my husband could see me. And I wasn't sure what had happened. When you have a tragic experience like that, it doesn't matter That I was a marathon runner. It doesn't matter that, you know, I don't eat meat. It doesn't matter that I have more degrees than, you know, I can afford. It doesn't matter that, you know, I love God and God loves me. In a moment like that, everything that you think you know about life, you realize you have no idea. I was a person who felt like I had incredible boundaries already, that I had my priorities straight. You know, I'm I'm the kind of person, my students, you know, I tell it like it is. But wow, something like that happens, and it seriously bumps up the contrast on everything in your life. So my question today that I want to think with you all about, you're the best and the brightest, you're the hope for our future, I want to think about what would your life look like if you were living your life as if you were ready to die? Shout out Notorious B.I.G. if anybody gets the reference. But what would your life look like if you lived it as though you were ready to die? Now, this isn't a morbid talk, because I'm here. Hallelujah! Yes, all right, I am here and I am happy and I am so glad and grateful doesn't even begin to describe. But the reason I want to think about this with you today is because I want you to invite each of you and us together to ask the question of whether or not we are living on purpose. Are we living on purpose? So there's a couple of things I want to think about. One of the things that sort of happens when you go through something like this, um, when, you do a, when you're doing a lot of therapy, right? These are lessons that continue to unfold. But there are lessons that may have previously seen cliché that suddenly take on new meanings. So a couple of things I want to think about with you this evening. The first thing that I'd like to think about together is this idea that it's not who you are, it's whose you are. It's not who you are, it's whose you are. I came back on campus and I love, I love me some BC students, okay, I love y'all. I think some of y'all love me, maybe not around finals, but I love y'all, okay. And when people say, well, you know, tell me about students at BC, I said, oh, Girl, let me tell you, BC students, they take 17 classes. They have 4.5 internships. They work two part-time jobs. A third one, they volunteer on the weekend. They exercise 2.3 hours a day. They eat healthy, practice meatless Mondays. They always talk to their friends. They love their parents. And you know they still don't think they're doing enough in the world. Does that sound familiar? Anybody? Mm-mm. OK. That's fine. But I was like, mm-hmm. I know. I see y'all, right? This campus is so ambitious. You all have really got it going on. But there's a problem when so much of the world is telling you that your identity can be listed on a sheet of paper. You are not your CV. You're not. You're not a grade, you're not a number. I've uh, had this conversation with a couple of different people. When I was an undergrad, and I would see a professor, because, you know, I too was an overachiever. Shocking. And those are things that we so often get rewarded for in life, right? The more you do, the harder you work, the less you sleep. Good job for you, right? Well, I used to be so nervous, because I would see a professor who maybe I hadn't done so well in class or hadn't given my best foot forward and I'd be like, "Oh man,! Whew, I don't want to talk to her because, you know, she remembers that grade I got on that third paper, and you know, that wasn't my best work. Spoiler alert: that's not true. I have no idea what you got or what you did. I remember who you are. I remember that you played trombone and you wanted me to come to the Pops concert. I remember that you told me you loved to dance. I remember that you told me you had dreams and wanted to study abroad. You're not walking numbers. And you're not walking in some living competition with one another. But so much in the world will tell you that there's not enough to go around. So much of the world is built on these logics of scarcity as opposed to living into a God who cries out abundance. So in thinking about who you are, it's not about what you do or what you don't do, what you make or what you don't make. But God has already said that you are not only good, you are very good. God has already said that you are sacred and worthy and have value in so many different respects. So when I get on campus and, you know, tell me if I don't have this right, but this whole BC perfect thing, you can guess how I feel about that. And I wanna remind you that even though one of our mottos is ever to excel, Excellence and perfection are not the same thing. Being perfect is not a worthy goal. When you are on your deathbed and you're thinking back about the things you regret, I promise you it's not that you spent two more hours studying for that midterm. It's that, oh, I wish I had called my mom. Oh, I wish I had told that person I love them. Oh, I wish that... You know, I took a little extra time away from work, work, work and just had a little more play, play, play with my kids. It's not who you are, it's whose you are. When we know who we are and whose we are, it shifts how we interact, not only with how we love and care for ourselves, but how we love and care for one another. And it doesn't take rocket science, to know that we're in a community that needs to love and care for one another. The things that are happening on this campus, the things that are happening in our world, the things that are happening in this city, numbers aren't going to change the world. At BC, you've been called to go out and set the world aflame. But as if you've been in my classes, you know, It's hard to set the world aflame when it looks like the world's already on fire. It's not just who you are, it's whose you are. The second thing that comes to mind is that it's not good for humans to be alone. Now, I know, I heard, but I know, like, agape, you know, there's a lot of agape talk at Agape Latte, but also, you know, maybe a little Eros discussions go down, right, on campus. Okay, All right, a little laugh. You know, I appreciate the feedback. Let me know. All right. (laughs) But it's not good for humans to be alone, not just dating, not just marriage. I mean, if you want a BC love story, I, I hope that you get it by all means. But it's not good for any of us to be alone. And everything in society is going to tell you that you are in competition with your neighbor, with your best friend, with your roommate, with that other girl in class, that there's not enough. And none of that is true. That's a false idea of being stretched out to you every single day, on the news, right? We got to be the best and the brightest in all of these things. But at what cost, really and truly? When I was sick, let me tell you, that one of the most important things to me that happened that I never realized were all of the people who were praying for me. I cannot explain how alone it feels when you can't even lift your head and you need help to move one or two inches in either direction. And truth be told, the only thing on TV is botched, (laughs) not inspiring. (laughs) But it's not good for humans to be alone. And my husband read every single day the emails that I got from my colleagues the emails that I got from people here who I didn't see every day, the emails that came from people in our church, the poetry that people sent. I even got emails from students who had been signed up for my class who I had never met. And I don't even know how they had gotten word that something tragic had happened to me. But you and your colleagues emailed me saying that, they were praying for me. You don't realize in a world where you're taught to be independent, you know. My women, you know. I was. I'm proud to be independent, but that pride is something that will cause you to stumble and fall. And what it means for us to truly take seriously being with one another—you are never. Ever, even in grad school, you're never going to have the same kind of community, the same kind of campus experience that you have now. It is a one time deal. And you should cherish it. Because if you can figure out how to ask real questions and be present to one another here on this campus, then I still have hope for change in the world. But if you can't begin to take those steps and do it here, I don't know what it's going to be like when you get out there. It's not good for humans to be alone. And you don't have to journey by yourself. The third thing that comes to mind as I'm sort of reflecting on this experience is this idea sometimes we have to let go and let god now i've heard that as a church girl my entire life but you know i i really like to hold on to stuff tight and there is this beautiful illustration that thomas merton gives And he talks about what happens in our lives when we're holding on to things. When we hold so tightly to your GPA, or that application you turned in, or what your parents said they needed you to do because you know they were paying for this really wonderful education, or what somebody told you was going to give you purpose in life or what somebody told you that you weren't gonna be able to do. When we hold on to these things, material goods, ideas, visions of ourselves that don't come from God, but that come from our world, when we hold on to those things, not only are we no longer able to give, but we're also no longer able to receive the gifts and graces of God When I was in the hospital, I had gotten home. I was pretty much bedridden. I had to go to physical therapy to relearn how to walk and do all of these things. And it was a few weeks before school, and one of my mentors here, she's a theologian, who really, an incredible woman, changed the game for much of theology, particularly theologies around women, Theologies around gender, theologies around race. Um, M. Sean Copeland, she's retiring this year. But she called me. And sometimes, you know, I call her Auntie Sean so you can see the nature of our relationship. And she said, Okay, so you're not coming back. And I had not been out of bed in weeks. And I was like, No, I think I can do it. And she was like, Ha ha you're not coming back this fall. You're going on medical leave. And I was like, no, no, I can be ready. Um, I can just use this other syllabus. It's going to be fine. And she, w- I was like, you know, just, I, I, I need to go back. She said, all right, look, I'm going to let you think that you are still making this decision. I'm going to give you the weekend. I'm going to call you back on Monday. But I just want you to know, you're not coming back. And I, you know. Like, <laughs> What? what do you mean? And she said, Look, Amy Victoria, I'm not going to another theologian's funeral this year. Yes, ma'am, I'm not coming back. Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes it takes something big and large to change our world, to change our perspective. But I would urge you not to wait for some tragedy, not to wait for some earth-shattering moment in your life, to take seriously the gift that it is to wake up every single morning. This idea of letting go is really, really difficult. And I realized even in my own process, and even in as much as I consider myself independent priorities, you know, I have a family, you know, I know what matters, why was I still trying to find a way to work? Even deep inside of me, that drive to keep going, oh, I can't let anybody think that I'm not serious. I can't let anybody think that I need a break. I can't let anybody think that I'm faking. I mean, I had bacterial meningitis. Nobody thought that I was faking that. But just just in case, I need people to know that I take this seriously. And it's hard to let go of things that we have been formed inside of our entire lives. But the only way to truly be free and free indeed is to find that liberation and trust in God that things will be okay. They might not all be fine and good, but you're gonna be okay. I was talking to a wonderful student who I have this year, She may or may not be here. I'm not going to call her name. But we were having a conversation. She had gotten this wonderful opportunity. And everybody was telling her, you got to do this. You got to do this. And she was sitting in my office. And she said, but this opportunity, you know, I'm not sure how I feel. Like, I'm not vibing with this. I don't think that this is what I'm supposed to do. But everybody is saying, don't you dare. You would be crazy not to do this thing. She said, this opportunity is so prestigious. And I looked at her and said, That's a great opportunity. But you are the prestigious one. It's you who carry a call and a purpose that nobody else in this entire world can fill. It's you who are important. It's it's them who are lucky to have you, not the other way around. And when we can honor ourselves and one another's spirits and who we are together i really think that we can be unstoppable in a world that really really needs your help my father was a military man so it was terrible waking up in the morning like he had he had no chill you know he did not care um we used to have to sound off like up in the morning full day. I was, it was miserable, right? Like there was, you know, I consider myself a morning person now, but having, you know, a, f- a, f- a Colonel Yank, a, a blanket, It's oh, it's just tough. Like T-U-F-F, tough. Really tough. Um, but my dad used to say, hey, no grit, no pearl. And, you know, country girl, farm girl, you know, I had to do, you know, I could drive a tractor. I told you I'm ready for the zombie apocalypse, right? Like, I'm good. I got got, got some skills, you know, to make it off the grid. But he used to say, no grit, no pearl. And I think that he had it a little bit wrong. Because my experience now would lead me to believe that no grace, no pearl. We've got to be more than just grinding. We've got to be more than just hustlers. We gotta be more than just never getting sleep. We gotta be more than drinking Red Bulls, y'all. You, got, you, want your, you want your organs when you're older, I promise you. But this idea that no grace, no pearl, is a reminder that you're the prize. That this life is a gift. And there's more to life than just surviving. We have to be committed to our, ourselves and to one another's thriving in this world. Otherwise, I'm not sure about what life is going to look like after the 12 years. We know that the 12 years is coming. It's going to take place. But we have to think about what comes after. So as I said, this hopefully is an invitation for each of you, for all of us together, to think about whether or not we're living our lives on purpose. And to think about, if you're not, why? And. If you think that you could do a little bit better, seems like today, tonight, might be a great time to start. Especially all of you seniors out here. Some of y'all are, you know, writing theses, like, oh my gosh, but I wanted to have fun with my friends. <laughs> but there's no better time than now to start because tomorrow really isn't promised to any of us. And so I want to end with a quote from this black feminist poet her name is Lucille Clifton she has this poem called won't you celebrate with me and that poem in that poem she says come won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed another way to put that and to think about that would be to quote the words of the now late Mary Oliver. Won't you tell me what it is you will do with your one wild and precious life? Thank you.